Um, let's see, what else? Yeah, a meeting at a saloon to talk about revival in America. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, the first time, the first two weeks this church ever met, I preached from behind a bar, just so you know that. So, carrying on the heritage. <laughs> the, the taverns were big during the times our forebears went up against the British. Amen? I put my truth truck down at the end of the driveway because like 50,000 cars go past my house in the fall because they're all going out to see the trees by Holy Hill. So I just park it at the end of my driveway and get all that exposure. Pretty cool, right? And um, then all the Christians on Sunday morning get to see it too. So that's good. Hopefully something will happen there. Finally, last of my announcements is Defy Tyrants has once again been thrown off YouTube. So we've been censored from YouTube this time for two weeks. If you want to see a great video, we have part two of Christian Resistance. Remember, part one is repentance. Part two is fighting. Part three is building. Part two is now out, but instead of going to YouTube, since we're throw off there now, you can go to rumble.com or you can go to gab.com and go to Gab TV, and then you can watch them there. And you can share them with, from there with others. It's a four-and-a-half-minute video. And I thought it was pretty powerful. The content is fantastic, and handled did a tremendous job um, at preparing the film. But I think that's it for the announcements, and we're going to continue on in the book of Colossians. So why don't you open up in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're only going to cover verses 12 through 17 today. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And since there's so few verses, um, I will read through them. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture reads, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. We rejoice in you, O God, and we give thanks to you this day that you have preserved your scriptures so we can know your ways and your thoughts. Help me to declare that which you've given me to preach. Use it for good in the hearts and minds of all those gathered and those listening. We rejoice in you, Father, for your goodness to us. That you have redeemed us by the blood of your Son. May we live our lives to your glory and in obedience to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. In our last sermon... We saw the transition Paul has made 
that the finished work of Christ is the basis of our justification, but his finished work is also the basis of our sanctification. You may recall that. Paul has told us that as Christians, we have put off the old man with all his sexual licentiousness and bad behavior, and have put on the new man which conforms to Christ in good behavior. As he says here in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Amen. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be Christ-like in our behavior. We are to have good behavior as Christian men and women. The putting off of the old man and putting on of the new man in the Greek language is like clothing. Putting off filthy rags, the old clothing, and putting on a new robe, the new man, the new clothing. In other words, believing in Christ results in a changed life. Believing in Christ results in a changed life. Having stated we have put on the new man, Paul begins verse 12 with the word therefore. See it there in verse 12? Therefore. Remember, therefore means for that reason, or because of that. In other words, based on what I just said, here is what you do, here is the result. And what is the result of putting on the new man? Holy living. Christian character. Christ-like conduct. Because you have put on the new man that is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ, here is how, in part, we are to live. As Paul expresses it as he goes on in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. See that there? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, you may recall that in chapter 2, we saw some of what the false teachers were teaching at Colossae that the false teaching had a Judaistic aspect to it. The Colossians were being told to observe the Sabbaths and the festivals and the dietary laws, and Paul repudiated all that. And here he ascribes terms that were once applied to natural Israel to the Christians here at Coloss, namely the elect of God, holy, beloved, Those are terms, once ascribed to natural Israel, Paul is ascribing them to the Christians at Colossae. These terms, elect, holy, beloved, are all terms once applied to the Jews in natural Israel, now applied to Christians. The Apostle Peter did this very thing also, you may recall. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Pardon me, verses 9 and 10. The scripture reads, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, 
mercy, but now I've obtained mercy. Amen. The word chosen is also used in verse 4 here in 1 Peter 2. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. Chosen by God. This is the same Greek word, eklektos, used here by Peter, that is used back here in our text, in chapter 3, verse 12 of Colossians. The term elect or chosen used to apply to natural Israel, to the Jews as the chosen people of God, the elect of God, but now the elect or the chosen is applied to all those who repent and believe in Christ whether Jew or Gentile. Both Paul and Peter take terms that were clearly ascribed to natural Israel and apply them to Christians. Peter says here that we are a holy nation in verse 9, just as Paul says in verse 12 of Colossians 3 that we are holy. And here... Peter says that we are his own special people. Paul uses the term in chapter 3, verse 12, beloved. These terms, elect, holy, and beloved, are all terms once applied to natural Israel, now applied to Christians. And as his people, we are to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Amen. You see them there in verse 12. Now, when you read this list, you could think that we are to be little milk toast, soft as cottage cheese individuals. You could think that. That we cannot talk like men or confront tyrants and idols and evil, but we're just to keep our mouths shut and linger along the edges of life. Pipsqueak people of such. We really don't have much to offer or say to the culture at large. Always trying to be nice, soft. But two things repudiate that notion. The first is context. Context. You have to look at the context wherein Paul gives this list. This list of tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. We know there was dissension at Colossae. Because there was false teaching and people taking sides to one degree or another. Verse 9, look at it there, makes it clear lying was going on. Verse 8 gives a list of things pertaining to the mouth and ill disposition. Verse 13, look at it there, reveals there were some with complaints against others that they needed to forgive, but weren't. And verse 15 talks about the need for peace within the body. Paul is telling them to put on these things, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, because the context of their situation there at Colossae demanded such virtues. Those virtues were needed and necessary because of what was going on there. Such virtues and behaviors were needed, needed to be demonstrated. In other words, the list here is not the only way Christians are to behave. We're not just little soft, cottage cheese soft little people. 
It doesn't mean there isn't a time for church discipline, that there isn't a time for strong words, for strong rebuke, that there isn't a time for us to confront tyrants, idols, and evil, a time to confront false doctrine. We are not, under the name of Christian virtue, to stand by and allow evil to fester and strengthen. We are not. It doesn't even mean there isn't a time for anger. Jesus himself was angry at times. We know that in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says he looked at them all with anger. We know that in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, when he made a whip and removed people making money off God's house out of the place. We know Psalm 2, verse 12 cautions the magistrates to do right by Christ, lest he become angry with them. Anger is not a sin. I know that might be a shock to you, given American Christianity, that can't get angry at anything. They can't get angry at evil proliferating. God himself is revealed numerous times in the Old Testament. It is one of his attributes, the anger of God, and the early churchmen preached about the anger of God unlike the churchmen of today, the toadies that they are. Ephesians 4.26 says we are to be angry, but sin not. Amen. So the first is the context. The context reveals to us this isn't the only behavior we're to express. Paul's list here. But it expresses to us that it needs to be demonstrated in the context in which the Colossians found themselves. So the first is the context. The context is important to understand. This isn't all that Christians are to behave like. They are not to just be soft cottage cheese people. And secondly, understanding what the words themselves mean helps repudiate the false notion that this is the only and always behavior of Christians listed here in verse 12. For instance, tender mercies means compassion towards those suffering. In this situation, those suffering by the mouths of others. Kindness is graciousness. Humility is a proper or low view of one's importance. Meekness is gentleness. Long-suffering is patience. It denotes the self-restraint that enables one to bear injury and bear insult without resorting to hasty retaliation. Bear injury and bear insult without resorting to hasty retaliation. Long-suffering, kindness, and gentleness are fruits of the Spirit and are to be a part of our disposition, our behavior as Christians. Not just in the midst of situation where there's dissension like there is at Colossae, but in many situations in life, we are to exhibit long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. Those three are also fruits of the Spirit, but they and all of the virtues listed here are of grave and great importance when it comes to the situation in Colossae where dissension and lying are taking place, where people are having complaints against others. 
to exemplify and demonstrate these virtues that Paul lists here, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, to demonstrate these virtues in the face of the context at Colossae, people lying about each other, people not wanting to bear with one another, not wanting to forgive, not wanting to live in peace with one another. To demonstrate these virtues in that context, that is manly. That is tough. That is Christian. Understanding the behavior Paul calls them to in the context of the situation is important. This is not our behavior at all times, but it is needed and demanded behavior in the context here at Colossae and many other situations in life. All these virtues need to be demonstrated when there is dissension and lying and complaints going on. And that is why Paul goes on to say in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Wow. But this is not what most Christians do. Many times, in my 40 plus years as a Christian, they do not demonstrate these virtues at such times, and they do not forgive. They have a complaint, and their complaint goes on and on, not resolvable, no means of resolution, no satisfying their lust to destroy and uproot, condemn and demean the reputations of others. I have seen it too many times over my years in Christianity, and this is why Paul says, put on these things. You have to put them on. You have to be willing to take some suffering. You have to clothe yourselves in humility in order to deal with it. To not become bitter about it. To respond properly and wisely in the midst of it. Extremely important. And Paul says, forgive. Just as Christ has forgiven you. For those who had these complaints about others and didn't want to forgive them, that's what he says here, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. These are strong words needed for the situation. You are to forgive them just as Christ has forgiven you. These people had a complaint. They didn't want to forgive anyone. They didn't want to move on. They only wanted to cause dissension and demean and destroy and lie about the reputations of others. And Paul calls them to forgive, even as Christ has forgiven them. He reaches down to the very means of justification itself, the fact that Christ has forgiven us, we should forgive others. That's how deep the situation was, how dire the situation was, that he had to appeal to that 
in hopes that it would cause these ones with their complaints to forgive. Verse 14 goes on and says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You may recall that Paul is the one who penned 1 Corinthians 13. In that passage, he also lists some virtues like he has here, and like he ends with love as paramount here, he ends with love as paramount there. So let's keep our finger in Colossians 3, turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. And notice what it says in verse 13 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. The scripture reads, and now, Paul writes, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And here in Colossians chapter 2, he says that love is the bond of perfection. It is the crowning jewel of what brings goodness and peace to the body of Christ our love for one another. Our love for him, number one, because you can't truly love someone if you don't love God. Love for him and love for one another. Amen? And I wanted to point out about this matter of love in 1 Corinthians 13, because it's a great chapter, which gives all kinds of descriptions of what true love is. And notice what it says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I remember with this whole matter that we've dealt with over the last year and a half, with the churchmen telling everyone first to wear their masks, first to close down our churches, then to wear our masks, put goopy stuff on our fingers, and sit six feet apart. They said we were supposed to do that based on love. And now they're telling everyone to get the vaccine based on love. You have no idea how many articles and sermons have been sent to me by other people where their ministers are telling them these things. So they say that it's the loving thing to wear the mask. It's the loving thing to shut down. It's the loving thing to get the vaccine. And I said, no, you may recall that because it's all based on a lie. It's a violation of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Exodus 23, verse 2, do not become party to a lie. That is the loving thing to do, to tell people the truth, not to participate in iniquity or sin and help spread a lie. And here we see Paul saying that very thing, that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Amen? Very important. Christian people don't aid and abet a lie. They tell the truth. They rejoice in the truth. They don't tell people what they want to hear. They tell them what they need to hear. That's what Christian people do. And it's even expressed right here in the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. All those ministers who are telling everyone, do the loving thing, put your mask on, do the loving thing, get your vaccine. And they were misusing scripture to do it, taking them out of context. I went over some of that. Yeah, 
Here's Paul's rebuke to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Remember, you cannot divorce the ethic of love from Scripture. Love must be defined by Scripture, not by humanistic, sentimental hogwash. Not what it has become in our day, an ethic to be proffered to justify any evil, including two men or two women marrying one another. Love must be defined by Holy Scripture. And Paul goes on in verse 15. This is important to what's going on. The fact that they're reminded of the bond of perfection, that it's love, love for one another. There was trouble at Colossae. Paul is trying to unite them with truth, having dealt with the false teaching in chapter 2, and also in their relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule. It means be like an umpire in your heart, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. The unity of the body is important. Dissension must be put to rest. Peace matters. It is to rule in our hearts. We should desire it, and it should translate this desire for peace and being ruled in our hearts with peace within the body itself. We should be able to sit down and speak with one another. But as you know, that is not always the case. People are what they are. And so Paul says in Romans 12, 8, quote, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Unquote. It's not always possible. Not even with people who name the name of Christ. Sadly, despicably. But we should do as much as lies within us to keep that bond of perfection, that love, that peace between us. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This verse always reminds me of the Irish, because the Irish put their history to song. And here here the Apostle says that we are to put Scripture to song. Amen? Put doctrine to song. It was funny because the scholars I read, numerous of them, from the last 150 years, mind you, not the ones prior to that, all talked about songs for feelings and emotion. Feelings and emotion. It sounds vaguely familiar to what our society runs on. Feelings and emotion. But the truth is, the early church wrote songs to speak and memorize scripture and to teach doctrine. Amen? They did. And so we must write songs to teach our progeny scripture and doctrine. That's what's so great. You look at many of the popular songs nowadays within Christianity, very what some would call soulish, on the emotional end, feelings, and that's fine. 
We should have feeling towards our Lord, amen, love, dearness to him, and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, those things. That's all good, but not to the absence of good, solid doctrine being sung about. Not to the absence of scripture being sung. And that's what much of it has become. Ever listen to Caleb? Ever listen to any of them? Ever see what's hot? I don't know if that's the term that's used anymore. In the music world, amongst Christians, and it's like, hmm. Verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here we see the totality of the authority of Christ. Remember what it says in the Gospel of Matthew? Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Remember what we often say here at Mercy Seat? God's word speaks to every area of our life and every area of life. Amen? And here the apostle says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Every action, every thought is to be brought under the obedience and rule of Christ in our life. Of our life and of every area of life. His authority is total. The totality of his authority covers heaven and earth. And so we should submit our lives to his rule. And we should do all we can where we see his rule not honored or observed within society as his ambassadors to bring that to bear, to bring Christian thought to bear in that area of life that is unlike Christ at the moment. It should bother us when we see the governments of men doing evil. And we should speak to it and we should act. And may we do so by his grace. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll close in a word of prayer.